Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin Combs, Vice President here at McKinney Favelle. Today is July 29th, 2022, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. Today, I got Nicole Thomas, also Vice President here at McKinney Favelle, joining me. How are you doing today, Nicole? I am doing great, Kevin. It's it's a little cooler here. I just need some rain. It's really cool here, too, today. I think in Lafayette, we're going to get a nice high of about 80 degrees, which oh, is pretty darn perfect. But That is pretty good. Yeah, you exactly. I, I could deal with a few degrees warmer, but uh, not going to complain because it's a heck of a lot better than 95. Yeah, I need nature to water this side, though, because side <laughs> is expensive. And watering sod is expensive. So Mother Nature could, expensive. could cooperate, that would, that would help. As you may remember from California, we don't have a lot of water at times, and this is another right. one of those years. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to cut back on water. Barrels of fun. So sod is uh, not doing so well right now. I would imagine. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, Nicole, it's that time of year. It's uh, coming up on time for schools to get going, and, of course, mm-hmm. that means Mike's not here. He's right. on vacation again, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's on your mind, having a little one, too. When's uh, school getting going there? Next week, if you can believe that. Wow. Next week. I know. I mean, I'm I'm old, but I'm not that old, and I remember we never started school before Labor Day. Exactly. Labor Day, day after Labor Day, you started. We were usually out around my birthday. And we, we enjoyed three full months of vacation. And this one kind of crept up on me. I, you know, found myself last minute in Target trying to <laughs> get school supplies. Do you need another book bag? Do you really need another book bag? Oh, okay. Yeah. You're, well, you're an almost seven-year-old boy. You do need another book bag. Well, a lot of parents are just waiting to get their kids back in school so they have a little bit of time on their hands again. Yeah, well, you know, there's good and bad with that because mine, uh, summer's in the Midwest, you know, so it's been, uh, it's been a, a relaxed, you know, get up when I want to, eat when I want to, leave when I want to, summer for me. So, yeah, now it's, it's back to the routine for me, too. Well, it's, it's back to the routine, and, and it's also that time of year where we're uh, not only getting school back, but we're starting to get close to some some real concrete crop data here, right? Oh, boy. Yes, we are. It's a little nerve-wracking right now, though. I'll tell you that. You want to hear my thoughts on why uh, soy and soybean mill and soybean oil are up so much this week? I think it's uh, it's very justified because this week has just been crazy. Here we go, you know, two weeks of downward movement. Mm-hmm. Things are starting to look attractive and interesting. And then, bam, next day, I don't remember what soy was up, but probably 30 cents per bushel and corn was up, you know, somewhere between 15 to 20 cents per bushel. And we haven't had a break all week. We have Every not. day has been up. We have not. And you know what? It basically comes down to about three things in the market that are highly unpredictable. So I'm going to start with the first one on soybeans. What's driving soybeans higher outside of spec interest, which I'll I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment when we, when we get to to oil. But um, really, from a fundamental standpoint, anyway, there's a lot of excitement about the weather. 
in a very interesting dynamic that we're dealing with as far as the weather is concerned. So for those uh, who don't know, I'm originally from St. Louis and I, and I got to send out my thoughts and uh, some prayers for folks that were impacted by the flooding there this week. Over seven inches of rain in six hours. That, is, that's incredible because in California, I don't know if we have more than seven inches in the last six months. Hey, even in even in St. Louis, normal uh, rainfall for the, the combined for the months of July and August is seven inches. So for them to get that in six hours time and, and to see the, the widespread impact of that. Yeah. And now that system, um, you know, also made its way through Illinois, impacting Kentucky now or, or over uh, starting yesterday overnight uh, into today. So it's been interesting in that you've got just a massive precipitation event in one portion of the grain belt while mean uh, you know meanwhile we're talking about the 10-day uh forecast outlook for weather for more of the western portion of of the belt so this high pressure front that's been uh creating problems for for kevin and the folks out in california in the pacific northwest is uh, expected to shift a bit to the east that would uh, put it over the plains and a good chunk of, of the western portion of the belt, uh, including the upper Midwest and the western portions. So you look at the 10-day forecast, just using a, another uh, sort of local example, you look at St. Louis's 10-day forecast and, you know, a little warm, but rain events uh, throughout throughout the next 10 days. You, it, you look three hours west in Kansas City, and you've got a 10-day forecast with multiple days above 100 degrees with no rain at all. Mm -hmm. And that uh, also applies for, uh, like I said, the Plains portions of Iowa uh, going all the way up into uh, the Dakotas. And that, I think, arguably is the, the biggest element of concern specific to soybeans uh, is where we're at in terms of, of development there. And and the same could be said for, for corn, actually. So as of July 24th, only about 28% of the corn crop in North Dakota was silking, about 42% in South Dakota, 49% in Minnesota. And that that's pretty much the reproductive stage for corn. So there's still, you know, some risk as far as yield is concerned right. uh, with the hot and dry and the timing of it. Hopefully not as bad because, you know, they've they've been able to get some regular rain events. But the, the beans being far behind and looking a little more towards the southern portions of the belt going up to, you know, kind of the middle portion of the Midwest is where this weather could be impactful to bean yields. And the market is definitely uh, watching that scenario very closely and building a little weather premium in there now. And why that is so concerning for soybeans. If you looked at the July WASDI and the adjustments made to acreage based off of the uh, acreage report at the end of June, worth mentioning, those acreage numbers could be adjusted additionally in next month's WASDI. So folks should be watching for that. But even using, you know, where the where we're kind of projected at today and using, assuming a pretty strong yield of 51 and a half bushels per acre, that gets you about four and a half uh, billion bushels of, of uh, soybeans. 
if that yield falls, say it comes down to 49 and a half bushels per acre, which under normal circumstances would, would still be a reasonably large crop for, for uh, the U.S. for soybeans, push it at about 4.3 billion bushels. But the problem is we have little to nothing. If that were to occur, <laughs> we'd have little to nothing available for ending stocks without some sort of sharp decline in consumption. Because right now we're looking at the mid 200s 200 million, call it 240, 250, 260 million uh, bushels of ending stocks now with that higher yield. So that's why the market is getting incredibly nervous about any weather that can be adversely impactful to to soy production this year. Because recall, at the beginning of the year, we thought we were going to end up with something like 90, 91 million acres. And that uh, that would have put us in a situation of stocks building and things things would be a lot a lot looser. Uh, but that's that's not where we're at at the moment. And speaking of of consumption. So, you know, that that's what you would need. Right. A, a reduction of consumption sure. to offset potentially lower production. Now, I would say, sure, we could see a little pressure in the export category. There are rumors, certainly always rumors, of, of Chinese buying and more need for soybeans. And as a matter of fact, they just recently bought a few hundred metric tons of, of soybeans. But we're not likely to see a sharp decline in the crush capacity for the current projection. And that provides a perfect segue into soybean oil. So why are soybean oil prices appreciating and what, what's kind of happening there? Now, as far as the futures are concerned, what we've talked about on more than one occasion in the past is the relationship between crude oil and soybean oil. And you look at, uh, just took a look at the, the nearby contracts today uh, of, the, of the respective markets, and you're looking at about a 93% correlation. So- yep. Easily summed up as where crude oil goes, so goes soybean oil. Then the question becomes, well, why is crude moving higher? I do not pretend to be an expert on energy markets. Let me preface with that. Uh, but there has been a little discussion, of course, with the energy complex as a whole as it relates to the ongoing war in, in Ukraine and Russia uh, cutting off supplies of natural gas, uh, the, the reluctance to import crude oil uh, in the European Union. All those things have helped to keep those prices elevated. But we were seeing a little relaxation there. Difference now is greater concern that OPEC in particular is not going to be able to make up for that for that shortfall that the U.S. is, is probably going to have to uh, participate a little more in that market as well. But the other thing when it comes to money in the markets and, and arguably why we saw a lot of the pressure we have, uh, because I would say fundamentally mm, things have only gotten worse. So it, it wasn't like there was a fundamental factor that was pushing the markets to new lows. What was happening was concerns about recession, followed by uh, interest rate hikes that helped to strengthen the dollar that uh, arguably relaxed some of that money and, and led to some of that money leaving the market. But something to consider that is somewhat counterintuitive, I guess, is now we have confirmation we're in a recession to, uh, by, by traditional standards, anyway, to quarters of uh, declining GDP, textbook definition of recession. Right. Um, 
Now, two things to consider here, though. Number one, if we're uh, facing recession, then the question becomes, will the Fed continue to hike interest rates to the degree that they've been? Or will they ease up on that? And arguably, that could lead to the fund saying, oh boy, we better we better put a little more money in, in commodities again. And the second element is the consumption piece. And this is where it gets really interesting. And we've kind of, you know, my clients have heard me ramble about it. But arguably, the makeup of our economy is a little different than it's been in the past. There's the psychological aspect of, you know, consumer behavior post the pandemic in that people seem to be spending money regardless of, of the cost of things, which is kind of yeah. interesting, totally counterintuitive to Econ 101. Econ 101 um, and, and prices go up and therefore you consume less. I think that was, uh, that might've just been <laughs> economics one. Right, exactly. <laughs> we may have even came across that in high school. I don't think we even had to get into college to get to get that part of yeah. it. Economics does not, holding, it's just not working that way right it's, now, which it's, is amazing. It's not. Because prices have been up for quite some time now. Right. And you see no signs of slowing things down. And it's interesting because when you, you know, three three indicators that kind of confuse this whole recession discussion in terms of what it means for consumption, because I really think that's the question to ask, not not whether or not we're in a recession. Textbook example says we are. But how are people going to react from a consumption standpoint, I think, is the big question. And you got a few things that that make that challenging to ascertain. You've got unemployment. That's still incredibly low. I still see help wanted, you know, from an anecdotal standpoint, I still see help wanted signs everywhere. We know corporations still looking to fill seats uh, for folks, you know, in, in uh, corporate uh, positions. So that that makes things a little interesting. And then when you look at the data for uh, personal uh, expenditures and uh, personal income, Although they appear to be slowing or a little less than what we've seen in months prior, the most recent data still shows them increasing that, you know, uh, personal income is continue, arguably flattening, definitely, but continues to go higher. And as far as people spending, still still on the on the on the positive side of things. So all that leaves a lot to be determined on what this is going to mean for consumption and could play into that. And then, so that second piece of things that are challenging to predict the money and how it moves. The third one though, always, 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 arguably worse than the weather is predicting policy and anything that involves politics and the government. And in this case, it is the Uh, Inflation Reduction Act. So I don't think it has not been officially signed yet, but all signs are pointing towards it being enacted pretty soon here. And specific as it relates to soybean oil, included in that legislation are benefits for biofuels, including renewable diesel. So that traditional dollar per gallon biodiesel tax credit would be extended through 2024. And then a new credit would be created for sustainable aviation fuel at $1.25 a gallon. And you could also get an increase of that credit if you can prove that your greenhouse gas emissions are being reduced and that exceeds by 50%. So for every percentage point above 50%, you can get another penny per gallon 
on that credit. And that maxes out at $1.75 per gallon. And also included in that act would be uh, pertaining to the time frame between 2025 and 2027 uh, via a clean fuel production credit that's also tied to reductions in emissions. And credits there would be up to a dollar per gallon for on-road transportation fuel and a dollar seventy-five per gallon for aviation fuel with some requirements. So going back to that point of could you see, can you get pressure in that crush category? I'm gonna argue probably not, because you need the oil production for what appears to be sustained, if not growing, and I'd probably argue growing demand for soybean oil, edible oils in general, but soybean oil for the that biofuel category, particularly for renewable diesel. And it kind of goes back to something I've had a lot of conversations with folks about. And I, and I get it from a food manufacturer standpoint. It's like, why? Exactly. <laughs> you're just, you're just boosting my price. Why? Why are we, why are answer, we increasing the price of food? Why are we increasing the price of food? Well, the answer is actually reasonably simple. Because as my father taught me from the time I was a kid, you always follow the money. And when you think about who benefits from biofuel or the expansion of biofuel production, you've got farmers, you've got um, anybody uh, producing those biofuels, which now also includes our more traditional crude oil refiners who are now getting involved in biofuels. You've got states along the coast who support those industries that are also now using this. And you've got, you know, the the segment of the population that's like, whatever we can do that's environmentally sustainable, I want to do it. So when you add <laughs> when you add all those constituents up, it's it's a little easier to see why you're far more likely to see and and again, it totally apolitically, I don't care, you know what which which party we're talking about because we've got examples going all the way back to 2000 why you will have a hard time seeing any change to biofuel policy in in the US because at the end of the day there's a lot of folks that benefit from it even if it's at the detriment of the end consumer and until the end consumer screams uncle as far as getting us back to that consumption story until the end consumer screams uncle this is what we have so that easy last week was so much better for oil users it looked great last week this week not so much but not so much it's another week next week it'll be interesting you know how the crop uh planning ratings look and do we drop another two or three points or uh are we stabilized? And I think uh, next week will be very interesting. And yeah, we're just next two weeks. Two weeks. So next WASD. WASD. There you go. One more thing coming up to drive the markets crazy. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, prepare prepare for volatility and some breathless moments here uh, right. for the next couple of weeks, next few weeks. Will do. And for all you listeners out there, if you enjoyed our conversation and Nicole's insights on the soybean complex, remember we have our IQ platform. Contact your McKinney Favell sales rep or give us a call. Go through our webpage, mckinneyfavell.com, and uh, love to show you uh, our information intelligence that we offer. 
And that wraps up our weekly hot commodity podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening in. And as Mike always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care. See ya. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.